We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, you could listen to Mikel Arteta give an interview, but why not stay here and listen to us talk about Mikel Arteta giving an interview? This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Football's back. The real stuff. The Arsenal. The good stuff. Top of the table, Arsenal. And we are back to play West Ham on Boxing Day. It's just around the corner now, and I do want to say from the absolute bottom of my heart that I wish you whether you celebrate or not, a very, very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy New Year, a Happy Kwanzaa, any of the things you celebrate, or just being here as part of this community, if you're hearing my voice right now saying, I wish it was Tim hosting again. I get it. I get it. You know, we've discussed it. We've discussed a a change in formation, but really we don't want to jinx this Arsenal season, so we'll stick with me. We'll we'll, we'll give it Elliot for the rest of the season. Um, but we just love you so much. So, so happy that you're here. So appreciative for everything we've been together, uh, been through together, the ups and the downs um, over what is about seven years. Our podcast birthday was, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And so just thank you for being here. And, you know, the holiday season, whether you celebrate or not, is, is a time of reflection, the end of a year. Um, it has been, I think, a really interesting and fun year for Arsenal. And I think we may have a more interesting and more fun year ahead. And so thank you, we love you, and I certainly cannot uh, tell you enough times how much you mean to us. There are some live events that will be announced coming up in the new year, um, and a lot more that we're working on. There's going to be our fundraising effort that's going to be really, really special in the coming year, in April, and I, I will have more news about that in a little bit, but obviously philanthropy a big part of what we want to participate in here and, and supporting the Arsenal Foundation, who supports so many great causes. So I can't wait to talk about all that, but today... We are going to talk about the Mikel interview, fitness and transfers, the West Ham game coming up. And we're going to do that with just, and I say just with a great deal of respect, Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. How you doing? It's good to sit and chat with you about Arsenal and have all the other nonsense in the rear view. Yeah. You know what? I've been doing some analysis of our analysis, strangely. And looking at back analysis, you might say. Yeah. Looking at what we've been saying over the last few years and thinking as to why we've said it or why I've said certain things. So analyzing yourself is not the worst thing in the world. We saw you put yourself in a fan's shoes. Why do we feel a certain way? Why do we say a certain thing? What's the context around it? So mm. having a bit of breathing space is really been quite useful. So I've been doing a little bit of education, really. Another good approach is say so many things at such a high rate of speed that by the time people start to think about what you've said, you've said so many other things they can't really remember. It's just a <laughs> just another approach you could take, Clive. I'm not saying it's the right one. I'm just saying it is one. People um, remember what we say. Trust me, mate. They remember, remember every way. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing they remember me saying is how to shave your privates. Like, let's be honest. Um, but, you know, that's important too. All right, look. Let's let's start. Let's start with the Mikel interview. And for those who don't know, um, Mikel Arteta sat down slash stood up slash walked around with Jamie Carragher for Sky Sports in a wide ranging interview that covered topics of his 
playing days, his assistant coaching time, the early parts of his tenure at Arsenal, and sort of the current season and his philosophy. I think Mikel was fairly candid. There were things he was more guarded about. He wasn't giving away any tactical secrets, that's for sure. But yeah, oh, and he definitely did not want to use the touchscreen. He was invited to use the big Sky Sports touchscreen. Said, "No, no, <laughs> you, you can do that, Jamie." So you know, he drew his boundaries, which which is always important. But Clive, I want I want to take this in stages. I, I thought it was a really good interview. He comes across great. I don't think you know we need to fawn over him. This doesn't need to be. Uh, Sycophancy, if that's a word. Yeah. Obsequiousness, sycophancy. Anyway, my, my point is that we get it. He he spoke brilliantly. He's articulate. He's intelligent. He's thoughtful. Yeah. I want to start with some of the stuff related to the current season because I thought there were some really interesting nuggets in there. Um, if you're okay, go in that direction first. Or do you want to just start at a high level and, and just praise him for being articulate and thoughtful, which we all know? Well, praise Jamie Carragher as well, actually, for getting the interview and oh, and, sure. and presenting <laughs> presenting it in that way. And I I looked at the comments on the Sky YouTube, and almost every one of them was positive. That means people are appreciating that content. They're appreciating going a little bit deeper to get to know the person, how he arrives at decisions. Again, how what I just said, and and analyzing your know, the analysis almost right, analyzing why we got to certain places, and I think. When you have a moment of calm to do that, I think he's great. And um, so, yeah, I thought Carragher did a fantastic job with him. He is he's one of the best pundits, in my opinion. He really looks at depth for the game. And he's really had a good look at Arteta, and he's worked him out quite quickly and seen where he could be. And I really do, from an Arsenal fan perspective, to, to not fall into the lazy narratives around Arsenal is, is quite refreshing. Someone to actually look study, analyze, and come up with their own opinion is why is what we all want. It's one of the reasons why the podcast is pretty successful because we because there's too many idiots out there in mainstream media, right? And that's the truth of it. And people think I'm not having that rubbish anymore. Mm. I need people that are thinking clearly and cleverly and trying to make me think differently about the game. And I think Carrigo does a decent job of doing that. And he gave Mikel yeah. a good vehicle to articulate his journey through from end of his playing days into coaching and how he's arrived at this moment in time three years into his Arsenal reign. Yeah, he spoke a lot about sort of always wanting to be a coach, um, that Pep approached him to be a coach while he was still playing, and he was like, slow, slow down, Pep, I'm, I'm not done playing yet, but then eventually did wind up with Pep. One of the things that I thought was interesting, I know I said we'd start with the this current season, but I guess... This might be a good entry point. It's just him getting the job at Arsenal and mm. having some doubt that he was ready and that it was time. And that actually Stan and KSE and you know all the people at the club convinced him that he was ready, that they were so sure of him that he was ready, which I sort of had a little laugh at because we know they were thinking about him before Emery. Yeah. And the experience of Emery, I guess, galvanized their belief that Miguel was the right guy. But I thought that was really interesting that, you know, they were so confident in the selection and and that that confidence transmitted to him and made him feel comfortable taking the job you, you, you know what you said the word confidence and that is the key word when you're coaching having the confidence to stand in front of a set of people and get your messaging appropriate and correct to make them believe in what you believe and get them to follow you not just for one team meeting but for two, three, four, five a week, training sessions, games, pre-game, post-game analysis. Then there's all the staff surrounding the club, the four, 500 people that work in the club. How do you connect them to the one common goal? If you don't have a smidgen of cracky, can I do this? Or a smidgen of imposter syndrome, you're, you're not human. You know, it, it, and when you're the youngest manager in the Premier League coming to a huge institution like Arsenal, which you have an affection for, with millions of fans around the world, if you don't have a moment of self-doubt, then, mate, you're, 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 even, you're a special human being. I would be <laughs> petrified. I'd never sleep. Right? So, um, yeah. and, and, so, and so, yeah, to, to actually see him admit that, it, it sort of humanized him, don't you think? Oh, I thought, yeah, absolutely, I thought so. And I, I think there were a lot of, humanizing moments in this and and also some revelatory stuff. You know, a lot of times these are milk toast comments and in interviews where everybody just pats each other on the back. But I, I thought there was mm. some insightful stuff here. I mean, there, there were little references to players that had to be taken out of the group to get the group where it needed to be. But one of the things that I thought was interesting, he was asked about 
going young, putting the faith in youth and building young. And instead of Mikel just saying, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it was brilliant. Look at how genius we are. He made a comment, and, and it maybe I'm even getting it wrong a little because he has a heavy accent, and, you know, I'm listening, and yeah. maybe I didn't catch it right. But I think what he sort of said was, we, we weren't at a place in our project where we could attract players who had done it all, who, who mm. were the stars of the game, essentially. We needed to go young to get yeah. players that could buy into what we're doing. And I think that's a really interesting point, is that it's not just that, hey, going young is the right way. It's that we were in a place where we could attract really exciting young talent, but not attract the right caliber of player who had done it all and was ready to win now, and that we weren't we weren't in a position to attract that. Did, did it come across to you that way? Because I thought that was a really interesting bit of introspection and, and understanding of our stature, because we always think, oh, we're the arsenal, we should be able to get whoever we want. But we really weren't in that position. And so yeah. we went young because it was the avenue available to us. I think there's more than just that reason why we went young, and I think you know, I know you're, you're a big believer in this. You know, increasing squad value, etc., making sure that we have that value further down the road. I think that was part of it. I do think the squad needed to be regenerated, but we we spoke about this, didn't we? We spoke about cleaning the squad and blowing it up, etc. So I sort of smiled myself as he went down that path. I think there's a pecking order developed around us in the league in our competitive landscape where Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea have really surpassed us. Manchester United, when it comes to attracting talent, we were not first on the list anymore. And we had a proven recent record of maybe getting people out of Real Madrid or the back doors of some clubs like Chelsea and, and overpaying them. And I think we needed to reset. And we all know this now. And, and I think he was maybe alluding to that, but maybe didn't cover the whole discussion in it, the whole question. But yeah, I think what he said there was sort of obvious, but I don't think that was the only reason we went young. We went young because I think he wanted to build a new culture with young people with the right characters, the right mentality, the right footballing ability, which is far more rounded, to play the football he wanted to play. So on that point, I thought one of the bits that reached out for me and one of the reasons why I really admire Arteta more than anything is not what he's doing now, because what he's doing now is what he always wanted to do. It's what he did in the start, when he had these hot spots of players that he stuck into a asymmetric back-free system. And he got all these players to stand in the position to the pitch that would suit them to win a CFA Cup, when that was nowhere near the style he wanted to play. Do you know what I mean? And I think that showed me something about him how you can maximize use of the resources that you have, win the trophy, then set about cleaning house. You know, using the time that that trophy had given you. Clean house, take the pain, and then we come to the sunny days where we are right now. He he spoke about the FA Cup's importance in in mm. where we're at now too. He acknowledged something that I I think we all kind of understand, which is that winning that and doing that at that point bought him some time and some credibility. And and I certainly I certainly think that's the case. I, I want to get into some of the granular stuff from this season, though, that's really interesting. Can I, Let's before you, can you, before yeah. you move on with that, mate, because the Ben yeah. White wing, I, I absolutely agree. But something that we, I thought, came across a little bit, if you, if you listened, was the impact of COVID, right? We won yes. that trophy. Yeah, he spoke about that a lot. Mm -hmm. We won that trophy. No one was there. Right, so mm -hmm. he had. I think he had like two months, and COVID hit, and suddenly you're playing in front of empty stadiums. How can you connect with people? You win a trophy, and no one's in the stadium. You know, and like, mm -hmm. um, and it's like, can you imagine that? You know, well, we did it. We went through it, right? But can you imagine it now? Because we're all back together again to win a trophy. That there's no one be there. You have to be in places outside of the ground. Just incredible. And he had to try to build a club with no people watching him, no connectivity, no. No relationships, and I think, and also the challenges that cost, you know, cause some of the players individually with family members, etc. I think there's a story there to be told. Some of it come out, but some of that really fed into that eighth place bad season. Does it mean really bad mm -hmm. season? And I think COVID, we dismissed it at the time because we want to see the results, but I think it had more of an impact to delaying the project than we actually realize in, in my in my humble opinion. That's yeah. why I gave him a bit more of a break. Yeah, he spoke he spoke quite a lot about, you know, looking at Arsenal from the time he was at Manchester City and like the 
the sort of dark cloud hovering over it, the anger among the fans, the angst, yeah. the the relationship that was kind of broken between the fans and the club, and how one of the things he's most proud of is the lightness that's returned to the Arsenal, right? That's yeah. returned to the Emirates Stadium. And and I, I do think that that, whether you were on board with him from the beginning or it took you a while to come around, if you were creating a CV for him of what he's done at Arsenal, Ooh. one of the most impressive things maybe he's done is just bring joy of football back to the Emirates. Now you can say, well, that's easy to do when you have us top of the table. Fair enough. But I think there's a lot of things, players that are likable and young that we can get behind where they're going, a type of football that captures the imagination, um, a way of speaking about the game and about the club that restores some class and pride to, to who we are. Oh, and none of that works when you're not winning, but you can be winning and have it not work too. He's, he's married yeah. those two things together and I think he's helped restore that. And also, you know, working with the club to create a change in the atmosphere at the Emirates. Cause it's not just the football. It's not just the manager. It's things that have been done, you know, by the people that run the stadium. It's things that have been done by the club to try to bring that back. Now the Ben White stuff, it, it can start our conversation about a few of the more yeah. specific granular pieces in this that I think are interesting. He basically suggested that he always saw Ben White as a right back in this system. He sort of intimated that a little bit. Mm. In that, but because he made a comment, he said, but I didn't have the person that could play the center back role for me last season. Yeah. So I needed Ben to do that. But basically the comment that I thought was interesting, he's like, the minute I saw Saliba in preseason and saw his development from Marseille and saw what I had, I knew we were going to have to make an adjustment. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting because it was both a suggestion that he had this plan for Ben White a little bit, but it was our first little glimpse into Mikel being totally caught up in Saliba a little bit because he like he showed up at preseason and I knew we're going to have to make some adjustments because yeah. of the development he made at Marseille. Um, and we can go from that then into what he said about Saliba because I thought he said some really interesting stuff about not liking his center backs to dribble. And, you yeah. know, if their first touch is bad, then you have to dribble. But with Saliba, he can handle it because he's got the big frame and he's got the good touch. He said to Carragher, if you did that, I'd be more worried. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> but... <laughs> but um, what did you think about that that Ben White and and Saliba section and and how those two things work together in terms of repositioning Ben? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's really interesting how people will perceive that and see if it if they use it rather than just listen but say, "Well, I knew he was going to be a right back." If you think back to the days at Brighton when he when he joined us, he was playing basically right centre back in the three. Remember, mm -hmm. uh, right yep. centre back in the three, and so we weren't sure when he signed if he was going to be a right back or play right of a three or are we going to stay in a back three system or remember we discussed all these things is he going to be a center of a back three is he going to be in the right of a back three are you spending 50 million pounds on a right back blah, blah blah we went through all these emotions right but what we didn't really know at the time is the balance of what could actually happen and when you I think there's a couple of players in this team which are I call them hybrid players I think Shaka's one that drops back but then goes forward. I think Ben White's similar. He drops back into a back three, but then goes forward into a, into a, a midfield three and a two, three, five, and sometimes makes it six on the outside. So Ben White and Chaka are, are your hybrids in the in the system. And I yep. think that to recognize this is the this is the really interesting thing. To recognize Ben White's attributes and put him in a position on the pitch where he's absolutely maximized, which is front foot, seeing the game, ball progression, athleticism, big spaces. He's a wonderful athlete, good runner. That's the bit that you, when you're looking to give someone a contract and you're looking at measures, where you can see someone who can see a player and then put him in position to succeed. That's a measure for me that says I'm I'm willing to support. If you listen back to the podcast, when I feel the manager has put a player in a position where he cannot succeed, <coughs> Shaka at left back, um, I then get upset, you know, because um, I think I exposes his to his weaknesses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I, I yeah, look, we evolve, don't we, Elliot? We evolve in our opinions. We evolve as as people. We evolve as managers, and I think. The way he's evolved his team and positioned people to succeed is, is, is great. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that was just a really interesting section. They broke down a little bit of how Saliba works in space and showing how the high line works and how far up the pitch we get. But that comment about not liking center backs to dribble, I, I thought that was really interesting because I think a lot of fans, when a mm. center back 
drops a shoulder, dribbles past someone, carries it up the pitch. You know, like we ooh and ah. That's not what Mikel wants, right? He wants the ball to move. If your first touch is good, you can move it. And where, what that really made me think about is the training ground stuff from um, the Amazon documentary with Gabriel Magalhaes, where yeah. they, he was saying it wasn't him though. It was I don't know which Steve Round. It, it might, was it Steve Brown I, I, saying I to Gabriel, was, yeah. your first touch is everything. When your first touch is good, your yeah. your next action is good. When your first touch is bad, you get yourself in trouble. <laughs> Excuse me. And so, you know, same, you can same really philosophy. See, same philosophy. Exactly. And and Mikel was really echoing that. The other, there were so many interesting sections to this interview. On, on, the, on that yet, bit, sure actually, do, yeah. on that bit when they showed a little bit of the film, when Steve did dribble through, I think we scored a goal for me. I think it was a goal at Liverpool. Yeah. I think, yeah, so... And Mikel's like, see, his first touch is bad there, and that but, makes But it was bad, wasn't it? It was bad. So we <laughs> yeah, saw the yeah. dribble, and we go, oh, what a player. But he was bad. But you know, if he's trying yeah. to, if he is trying to manage a team and manage risk going forward, he has to work on his first touch. So he never has to be take that risk decision because one toe poke, and they're in on goal, and we can see that we can see it in the first minute of a of a Liverpool game, and the season looks different, it feels different. So he has to manage that risk. Of course, he's able with his body to protect the ball safe side and drive out and, and off we go to the races and we look great. And Saturday night was a very nice Saturday night that day, right? So so yeah. I think it's so smart, the intelligence on the details in it. I was, I was buzzing at that when I saw that clip. Well, the, the other thing that I think people are going to latch on to is the Shaka stuff. Um, I thought this was one of the most interesting and revealing comments he made. He told Shaka... You need to adapt to this left eight role or we're going to replace you. It's basically yeah. what he said in the interview. Yeah. If you can't adapt to this role, we're going to need to find another solution. And what he said to him, I think that was so interesting. He's like, you're so comfortable in this position and he's showing central midfield, right? And he's like, but you're going to win us the game in this position. This yeah. is where we need you. This is what we need. And you have all the ability to do it. And he said he came back thinner and fitter. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you, I didn't think about that, but you know, we, we're so focused on skills and what players can do. And we sometimes don't think about their bodies, right? And I know that's such a silly thing to say, but their bodies are their tool. And yeah. so we saw it with Jack Wilshire, right? Jack Wilshire got injured. He came back, he put muscle on, he put bulk on, but then Jack lost the lightness in his game. Maybe what we're seeing in Shaka in that left eight role, getting the ball out a little quicker, finding pockets of space is being a little lighter, you know, being a little bit more explosive with the first step. More I don't nimble. know. I'm, I'm guessing, but he said Mate. he came back in the best shape he's ever seen. And we never thought of Shaq as not being in shape. He came back thinner. I told him he had to adapt or we'd replace him. I thought that was such an interesting and revealing segment. Uh, uh, Clive and gives us a little window into yeah. how this transformation has taken place. I, I totally agree. And I was smiling to myself and, it was, I remember, I've told you before, Elliot, so apologies for listeners that have heard me say this, but we did an ask cast with Andrew and he, he said to me, what do you see, mm-hmm. what do you, <laughs> what do you hope to see? And, and I sort of said, them, I want to see us mature. And, and I'm looking at the physical maturing of some players. And I said, I, I'm already seeing it after a friendly, I think I went to Sevilla game. And I just remember seeing Shaka running across the pitch during a warm up. And I thought to myself, he has changed physically. And I said it to Andrew, I, I've seen an improvement in Martinelli, Saka, and Shaka. And I said it out loud. I thought, cracky people are going to think you're you're dumb. You know what I mean? Because why are you saying that? You know, he's, he's, he's got heavy feet. We, we've, we've criticized him on the podcast for wearing dot minds, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And I just said it because I saw it. If you watch him now, the way he receives the ball, how much nimble is, more nimble is he now in that position? Originally, I was worried about him playing back to goal. He can receive it back to goal. He turns around. He dances around the ball a lot more. And I read an interview that he said he worked really hard over the summer. But I look back over the summer, and he played four Nations League games. And I'm saying to myself, when did you get time to do this extra work? And, then, and it goes back to the character of the individual. He must have changed his diet. He must have done, he must have done something. He must have worked. had about two days off. And he must have done, because he'd come back in shape. And he just transformed himself. So hats off to him, right? He is, uh, every time I try to retire him, mate, he keeps sticking one back up me. And um, so, yeah, fair play to him. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think it's so interesting too because a lot of us were like, hey, the next place we have to go to get better is we need a left eight, right? As we talked mm. about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess 
So don't quote me on these stats, but I think it was 432 times on the pod that we need a left eight. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but the funny thing is, Mikel felt we needed a left eight. He said in this interview, that's the area where we were going to win. And if Shaka couldn't help us in that area, I was going to get someone else who could. Now, we were saying we need to get someone else who could. Kudos to both Shaka and Mikel for seeing that maybe if he gets a little thinner, if he gets a little fitter, if he commits to that area, that we could win in that area. And that, yeah. that was the next, for the project to go bang, that was the area he was targeting. And so I thought that was really interesting. Um, Really quickly, this wasn't the most interesting thing to me, but he talked about Zinchenko a bit and talked about he's a midfielder. That's who he was when we got yeah. him at City. That's who he is for his country. And so he helps us play in that area more, but he can also go around the outside. You see that work happening in Tierney's brain now. Did you have any thoughts on the the comments on Zinchenko as a former midfielder in terms of being able to operate in those central spaces but still go around the outside, around the outside? Yeah, and it, it comes back to some things that we've all spoken about, working inside in the interior, but being comfortable on the exterior. Shaka's improved that. Tini's improving that. Ben White's improved that. <laughs> Tommy Asu can do it. They can, all, they can all do it, can't they? They can all do it. You know, you have your central spine players, your connectors, your two centre-backs, Thomas Party, your centre-forward. That's your spine, they're your connectors. And the outside the outside pods we all know about, right? The triangles in, in wide areas to create overloads and how you rotate in those positions and going from out to in. We can all see the system and we can repeat it. We could literally do a, a two-minute elevator pitch in how we play. And that's the fact we can all do it says this coach has got everybody on board and the play is so transparent. But it's very hard to stop when the technical level is high and that's what we're that's what we're really seeing is a really high technical level, and from that you get the cohesion and timing, and timing when you're doing things quickly off one two touches, that's the separation that you need to create the shots and the chances, and the control. And when people see timing and cohesion in a team, what they tend to do is drop away. And what we're starting to see now, we're starting to see it. We need to see what happens when we go back is attack versus defense games. And I think this is something we, have to, we might have to adjust to. And so the evolution of the next Arsenal team is going to be how do we deal with deep line blocks because we're controlling the ball so well from the back end of the pitch. You know? That's going to be the challenge edit for 2023. I promise you, mate, watch this space. Yeah, an- another thing that he was really honest about it's it's funny when topics we talk about on the pod come out of the manager's mouth, right? And, mm. and you sort of hear that they're in his mind too. He basically said, because we're not playing in the Champions League, we were able to play a very consistent starting 11 in yep. the Premier League because we could rotate in the Europa League. He acknowledged that. And then he said, it's not going to be that way in the second half of the season. Yeah, It's too compressed. We're playing every three days. And then he said, in basically exact quotes, we need more resources. We need more players. This was the moment. I mean, it, was, it wasn't equivocal. It wasn't, we have a great squad and we're going to make use of it. It was, we need more resources. We need more players. Clive, it is the most direct I've ever heard him be, and maybe I'm missing something else, of basically saying, we cannot manage this fixture congestion that's coming, this <laughs> unprecedented season, without more in the squad. I'm curious yeah. what you thought of that. I love the way you phrase that. You should be a you should have been a Sun journalist. <laughs> I just heard him say <laughs> that we are <laughs> we are am I, am I a monster? We are, <laughs> we are just rubbish and we just cannot handle the rest of the season. I knew at times then, sorry. New York Times Journal. We are rubbish. We just cannot handle the rest of the season. I heard him say it. I heard him say it. <laughs> beautifully put. Actually, again, a lot of the things I sat I found myself sitting there watching it, just smiling. Because mm. When we first lost Jesus, I was I was in panic mode, right? And I was saying we we need to get a new a new wide man. I need to get a striker, whether it's alone or blah blah. And and then I sat there and I breathed. When people say no, we can get on with just Eddie and the rest of it. I thought, okay, crap, relax a bit. Let's have a look at Eddie and see what he needs to bring his attributes. Blah, blah. But I, I will. Your gut's not wrong. We are not going to be able to manage this with a, with, with just one time. I think we need two. I think we might get three. And I and I think we need to do it. You know my views, Heather. I've said it to you guys, and I've said it, and I'll say it again. Sometimes life throws you a window, and I think we have one. And it, I I just cannot, I do not see any reason why 
we should delay. If we think we have an opportunity, let's go and grab it. You know, don't die wondering. Go for it, man. We're right there. We are statistically looking beautiful. Our eyes do not lie. We are close to being very, very good with the, with the second youngest or the youngest team in the Premier League. We have room to grow. Let's just go and do it. You know, and, and for, so that, that's my emotional side talking. But then he sort of brought it back to reality and we're 14 games in. The Europa League is going to go up in quality. We've got the FA Cup to come through as well. And all the league games, they go up in volume. Every game means something a little bit more. They go up in volume. Mm-hmm. And we have to manage that. we got City, Newcastle, Man United, Spurs, all coming up. We have to manage that. You know, I'm sorry, we can't manage that with um, no disrespect with Reese Nelson's thighs. <laughs> we can't manage that with Marquinhos. We haven't got to do this the hard way. We can just do what everyone else does. Make sure we've got the right appropriate resources to manage the season appropriately. That's my view. That's my view. Yeah. And I mean, it will be interesting then to see what the club does, but it sounds from this interview like he really has the support of ownership and of the club generally, you know, Adu Mm. and everybody else involved. I don't know that I think he'd be this direct asking for more players and more resources if he didn't think they were available to him. Yeah. So let's let's see what happens there. Well, they um, wouldn't be negotiating of, with those players because, you know, this doesn't happen in two minutes, is it, mate, to honest? Yeah, and, and one thing, by the way, I, I do think is interesting about the way we're playing now. You know, we talked about, I think he made an interesting comment. He said, if you ask Pep, he would say he's the most defensive coach in the world Yeah. because he gets annoyed when he gives away a chance and that, you know, the way he approaches the game you know, with with all these shots and things like that, but he he restricts chances. And that when we won the FA Cup, when he first started out, he wanted to sort of play a different way. But he looked and he said, "I don't have the players for it," so he couldn't really implement that. He couldn't yeah. do what he wanted. And I thought that was interesting because that's really risky, Clive. Right? Like, you have to decide: Am I just going to implement my philosophy, my system, when I don't have the players for it? I think you see Graham Potter going through some of this with Brighton. I mean, with yeah. uh, <laughs> Chelsea, Freudian slip there with Chelsea, right? Um. Does he have the players he needs to play the way he wants? Well, I don't think so. And I think you're seeing the tension in the way they're playing. And Mikel, I think, went through similar things in terms of figuring out what he could do in the short term versus what he can do in the long term. And now we're seeing when he has what he needs, how beautiful the plan is. Yeah. And it's a referendum on the club, what, what Potter's going through and what Arteta went through. There were moments there when we lost to Villarreal when I was thinking, oh, this isn't good. Do you know what I mean? And um, remember the pre-Chelsea game at Christmas when Smith Rowe came in? It was a very low period. And I hung in there just out of pure fan blindness. But, you know, I'm not going to say to you I didn't feel the worries, Elliot, because I did, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's a referendum on the club and who we are and how solid we are and and how connected and aligned we are. And um, I do think that period is a, much more of a success than I than I realised, much like when Arsene Wenger was trying to keep the club afloat when he was not financially in a position to do so. He had to sell a major player every single year. That, to me, was as successful as the period when he had all the trinkets in his bag at the right age. You know, it's much harder to manage something when you're not at your optimum, but you still have to get a, a level of success, you know. And um, so, for some, for one so young to go through that, and I think it's really, 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 really good. Now, the maturity to go through it and come out the other end as a credit to us, the fans, not completely flipping on him, and and uh, and the club as well. And I think if I learned something from the discussion, is success. What is the measure of success? When he spoke about things like how do we measure things, and I and I and I thought that was really interesting because that sounded very corporate measuring improvement. I wonder what metrics they're working to. You know, a bit of me wants to sort of be in the boardroom, understand those KPIs, understand those measures. What are they working to? What are they really mm-hmm. trying to achieve? How does that link into their plan? That's the behind the curtain stuff. I wish I was exposed to to really understand what's driving them. You know, that's, that's, that's the bit I would love to find out more about. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I liked about this Clive, that is a window into his philosophy. He made the reference to this a couple times in the interview. Football is a game where you can have 30 shots 
and mm. concede a goal from one shot and lose. And what I'm concerned about is, did we come out deserving to win the game, essentially? Yeah. Now, people might bristle at that, because what does deserve got to do with it? The scoreboard's what matters. I want I want a manager whose philosophy is play in a way that deserves to win yeah. and then let the chips fall where they may. What I don't want is some manager who's like, all that matters is wins and losses and however you get there. If I have to defend and concede 50 shots and score one goal, I'm like, I don't want that. I want to match because we always talk about this. What is repeatable? What is sustainable? What is a, a type of football that can deliver results that could compete for the league? Well, that's what this looks like, right? And so yeah. you hear it in the way Mikel talks. He wants his team to play in a way that at the end of the 90 minutes, you can come away saying we deserve to win that football match because of the dominance we exerted, because of the chances we created, because of the chances we suppressed. And and yet, you may not win that game. But if you play that way enough, you're going to win more games. And I, I did like hearing that from him. Yeah, and I have to give you a, a hat tip here because I, I learned this from you, actually, and um, hmm. how sure. to... You really emphasized the point in me when Emery was winning those games and I wasn't so close to the data back then. I didn't really understand it in the same way as I do now. And you was explaining to me about how we was, well, how many shots we were conceding. And you were just explaining to me. And I was thinking, yeah, but we won 15 games or something. So, you know, I was very much in, in that phase of my sort of education, comfortable with players and what they should play, what they look like. But the statistical side, the understanding where we were heading, I wasn't there. And... You were quite strong on that we're going to come back to the mean. And mm. when when I look at it now, now I understand it a bit more, I can see where this is going. And you look at the ages of some of the personnel and you think, oh my goodness, this could really, <laughs> this could really go. You're watching this pre-pre-season or mid-pre-season and you're watching, Fab you're watching Fabio Vieira skipping around the field and everything's working out, but you're thinking, oh my goodness, he's only... He's only 22 and he's only three stone three. And once he puts, picks up a couple of dumbbells, what's going to happen then? You know, he's moving quickly. He, he delivers in the last third. His heart rate drops mm -hmm. under critical moment. And you think, oh, crikey, he can bag it from 30 yards. You start to extrapolate forward, don't you? You think, this hasn't, this hasn't started yet. Because the talent identification is just top, top, top. You know, this is, this could be good, mate. It could be good. It's already good. It's already good. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, silly good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I said well, to Tim the other day. I mean, let's start booking our hotels for Barcelona. Right? This could be that good. You know, this could be. Well, we're back to the top table real quick. Yeah, and let's let's be clear. There's a difference between um, theory and praxis, right? From the very start, I think we could see with Mikel that he had the theory. But it was unclear if if he had the praxis, right? If he could implement the theory in the real world, be the manager who picked the players, who trained the players, who set the philosophy and, and the, the tactics. So I wanted Mikel when we were going for Emery. I was excited for Mikel when we hired Mikel. But the risk that I knew was there is I don't doubt that this guy understands philosophically what to do in football. Can he, can he implement it? Because he's never had to do that. And there were growing pains, and some of that may be more due to problems with the club than with the guy. But the pieces that are married now for me are the philosophy and the praxis, right? The theory and the praxis. He's not only shown that his theories and his ideas are good, which was clear very early on. Mm -hmm. He's shown that he can marry that up with what he actually has to implement in the real world and that it can bear fruit. And so for me, you know, I'm all in on what he is doing. And and I think at this point, most people are. So I didn't you know, want, it, it, I didn't it, want Arteta when he first was first linked. And the reason was I thought the club would eat him. And we were massively toxic anyway, at the yeah. time. And I thought the club would eat him. We'd just come out of the Venga. I wanted somebody, I actually wanted somebody like Pochettino or Conte. I don't know if I said it out loud, but I'm telling you now, I thought it. Because I wanted somebody that could stand up to the club. You know, I wanted someone gnarly, a, a one, two year job, somebody that wouldn't be pushed around, to stand up to the club and demand things that would push us forward. So a young 38-year-old at the time, wherever he was, 37-year-old Arteta, I'm thinking, first job, why would you do that? You know, don't don't get eaten up by this club. So the second time, we were slightly better shape, and I was more open to it. But once that first interview came out on the dot-com, that was it, mate. Sold. Sold, sold, sold. I, I, I play that interview a lot to myself, every now and again, mm -hmm. to remind myself of 
what he really wanted to do. There's a lot in that first interview. Trust me. The ideas were always good. Yeah. yeah. And, and now, and now the, the implementation of the ideas is proving it, proof of concept is, is what you might call it. If you wanted to mm. use a, a some slimy businessy terms, but <laughs> the, the one other thing that I'll say as it relates to the pep philosophy and the perception of like, Oh, you know, he's just doing what pep does. I thought he made a really good comment when he said, mm. you can't just copy and paste. Yeah. Unfortunately. And he used the word unfortunately, which I thought was interesting, right? Because he recognized Pep's got his stardust, copy and paste. You can't just copy and paste. You have to build your own thing. You have to I- infuse your own ideas. And I thought as a, as a final point on the interview, I thought that was a really nice comment he made because I don't think it shows he has no problem being compared to Pep. He calls Pep the great, you know, the best coach in the world, best coach in the game, may, may very well be the case. But I thought that comment that you can't just copy and paste is interesting because I think the one sort of slight on him that's left really is, you know, he's just imitating Pep. You know, he's he's a a Pep doppelganger. Yeah. And and his comment that you can't just copy and paste and you have to find your own innovations, I thought was important and interesting and, and I liked hearing him say that. Yeah, and he has done. And he's got more physical players, a bit more aggressive in certain parts of the pitch. And you have to remember when he's saying that, who's he saying that to? He's not just saying it to us fans. But he's also saying it to his players because, yep. let me tell you something, if you're not authentic and you're standing in front of a set of players, they will have you out of there in no time at all. If you are not mm-hmm. consistent in what you say, your actions, what you deliver on a day-to-day basis, they will have you out. They will take you out of that dressing room. There's nothing you can do. And those, So he needs to really, truly have his own philosophy and live by it because then you can get people to follow and align with you. Funny enough, I watched a little bit of uh, Burnley versus um, Manchester United in the in the League Cup, and it's so interesting watching Burnley playing. They have got their wingers high and wide on the touchline, and I mean extremely wide on the touchline. They have a left-footed right winger, jinking coming in off the sides, but inverted wide men, and you can see what Vincent Company's doing to that club. And I'm thinking they are in safe hands, mate. They're in safe hands. It's not exactly the same. He has different profiles of players in parts of the pitch, but the core framework is there. Make the pitch big when you have the ball, win the ball back very quickly and compress the space when you don't. It's very simple. And, and people may say, it's not just Pep done that, other people have done it. But when you see the extremities of where players are standing, you can see the patterns, right? So um, Pep has changed a lot of people's view on the game, myself included. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I, I think, I think we should leave it there in the interview. Cause I still want to talk Martinelli. I want to talk about Smith Rowe and, and his latest, I don't know mm. if I want to use the word setback, but I'll get your opinion on that in a moment. And we got to talk about West Ham because football's back. We can actually preview a match. That's not two months away. It is as we sit and record this four, just four days away. And with the amount of, um, adult refreshments that maybe drank in the intervening period. It may feel like less than four days, so we shall see. Um, But you can't get any of that great information. You can't get any of that interesting discussion in Clive's insight until you hear me tell you how to get clean privates. That's right. Of course, we're talking about Manscaped. We're rolling out of 2022. We're rolling into 2023. What was the highlight of your 2022? Well, if it wasn't the way your privates looked and felt, then your 2023 New Year's resolution should be to have clean, beautiful privates. I mean, think about it this way. When the open top bus parade's going on, we're all in London celebrating, and maybe you're, you know, standing somewhere and you decide that you, you know, you just want to free yourself of all your clothes and, and be one with nature and the arsenal and the celebration. <laughs> you want to be looking right. So <clears throat> how do you do that? You do it with Lawnmower 4.0, perfect wet dry shaver, purpose built with ceramic blades, right? No uh, nicks and cuts. Those are things we don't want when we're talking about that area particularly. Um, and you have skin safe technology there, uh, wireless charging, right? You just Lay it in the cradle. Battery goes on forever, and it works in the shower, which is great. You can also get the Weed Whacker 4.0, which is uh, the Weed Whacker is a thing that maybe if you're a young person, you may say, I don't need that. But as a man of a certain age, nose hair, again, almost worse than private's hair because more people see my nose than see my privates. Unfortunately, it's just the way it works, and uh, you don't want to see the nose hair. You got the the toners, the deodorants, the body wash, the the uh, shed travel bag to take it all with you and the best anti-chafing boxers you're ever going to wear. All of that. And you can get it with 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com with promo code ArsenalVision. Just use promo code ArsenalVision 
at manscaped.com for 20% off free worldwide shipping. That's Arsenal Vision. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Do it now. And now that you've got the best privates in the world, you want to have the best insides of your body in the world, you can do that with Athletic Greens AG1, something I do every morning. I do it for really two things, gut health and energy. Um, relying too much on coffee. I still do take coffee, but I wanted to wean myself off a bit of that because I wasn't feeling healthy with it, and I had some gut health issues. AG1 addresses that, as well as um, your nervous system, your immune system, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. It's 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Wipe away an entire shelf of gummies and things that don't do anything and cost too much and are full of sugar. Get rid of all that. It's a scoop in water. Tastes good. Drink it down. Plus, you're getting water. That's always good, right? And there are a few things you should know about AG1 to make sure that it's right for you. First of all, it's lifestyle-friendly. So if you are keto, paleo, vegan, daily-free, gluten-free, no problem. Works with that lifestyle. Contains less than a gram of sugar. Costs less than an expensive cup of coffee a day, like a $3 coffee a day. You can just do this and instead help your whole body. It has over 7,000 five-star reviews. And again, it's whole food sourced superfoods. So like it's it's the right kind of stuff to put in your body as opposed to some of the other supplements that, that are out there that are pretty much just sugar. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And last but not least, the outside of your body looks good. The inside of your body feels great. And now you're ready to say, I want to start a business. I want to sell the cookies that I bake. That's what my wife wants to do. I want to sell the clothes that I design. I want to sell the art that I make. I know a lot of you really talented artists, you want to sell that. Well, Shopify is an instant place to get your business up and running. Shopify is an e-commerce platform that does it all for you. And I can say as someone who has started multiple Shopify stores in my previous life, uh, doing web business and selling things and actually working on one, my wife has gotten into baking and you know, I want to support her. She loves doing it. She's really good at it. And I, she's like, you know what? It might be fun to sell these macarons or whatever you know, fancy cookie thing that she's baking. Well, Shopify lets you drag and drop, visually design the site, add the payment processing, add the shipping, add the, the tax stuff. It does all that for you. You can sell on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram, no problem. You can even do an in-person point-of-sale system if you're actually opening a pop-up store or something. It, it's just, it makes the, the step from going from idea to business the smallest step possible, the easiest step possible. So, Try out Shopify for free today and start selling anywhere. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash arsenalvision. Now, here's the weird thing. That has to be all lowercase. I don't know why, but it does. Go to shopify.com slash arsenalvision to start selling today. Shopify.com slash arsenalvision. Do it now, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Now that... Okay, Clive, quickly. I, I don't think I want to get into this today in depth. There are rumors that Martinelli has signed and that it's going to be 200 grand a week. We'll probably wait for it to be announced and wait for more sourcing on that. But essentially all I want to ask you is, you know, whether you have any sort of immediate thoughts beyond that's good. Now tell me Saliba and Saka have signed too. <laughs> As you read my mind, um, I think he literally might have said in a, in a press conference that there's no news on the contract yet, but um, mm -hmm. as we are recording, but I think we all can. It's not. It's not new news that Martinelli might want to stay. So I don't carry the same fears I used to carry when it comes to contract renewals. I ask myself the question: If Saka, Martinelli, and Steve don't want to play for this team and this club and this manager at this point in time, I look at everything around and say, "Is there anything else we could do?" or we can do. We messed up Saliba for three, four months. We should have gone out alone. That's a mistake in the past. Is there anything else we can do right now? They're all playing. They're all they're all progressing on the pitch, off the pitch. They're going to make more money. We're top of the league. We've won 12 games out of 14, for goodness sake. It's incredible what's going on. <laughs> if, you, if you think there's someone better, then feel free, mate. You know, honestly, that's how I feel. You know, and... And so, yeah, I don't feel those fears. And if they want to disappear, then they're not the players and the people I think they are. So I've got no fear whatsoever. And if they go, you know my always, you know my thoughts. There's always another player. I'm finding them all the time. I'm back into YouTube mode for January, uh, and there are players out there. And if we keep doing the right things, there'll be lots more players that want to come and join this club. Yeah. I guess the only thing I would say on this, and we're going to cover it in more depth when it comes out as, as it gets more solidified, is simply that Think about the distance we've traveled in 14 short games. Think about how we are viewed and how our players are viewed today versus 
July. Martinelli was rated. Saka was rated. But today they are star players in a team at the top of the table, having also had star turns at a World Cup. This is why the idea that they were just going to sign out of the goodness of their heart last summer for, you know, 120K a week and, you know, they just want to be part of the project. Like, these, these people have agents and these agents have interests and their interests aren't necessarily what's best for Arsenal. Yeah. And their stature continues to grow, which means their value continues to grow. And it's really this simple. If Arsenal don't pay them going rate, someone else will be willing to. And then yeah. you're into the stage of, will they stay with us out of the kindness of their heart? Now, look, am I saying... If you know someone's willing to offer them 500k a week, should we match it? No, I'm also not saying that if we offer 180 and someone else offers 190, they're going to leave. That's not my point. Yeah. But if you're offering 120 for players that are worth more than that, you're not going to keep them. And so these players did the right thing for their career, which is they didn't sign right away. They backed themselves. Saliba, Saka, and Martinelli have all been stars at in a club that's top of the table. Saliba became a full French international. Martinelli and Saka started a World Cup, and they deserve these wages. And, and also, I think we have to update what are real wages. You know, they should be paid what good players on the biggest, you know, best clubs in the world get paid. So we'll see how it shakes out. I think they will all stay. But I think they, they have probably all enriched themselves and the club, to be fair, by enhancing their profile and having not signed when they did and, they, you know, by biding their time. Yeah. Their, their value's gone up. And let's be honest, if Saka doesn't sign till the summer and we win the title and he has an 18-goal, 12-assist season, then he's going to be 275. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, yeah. just, that's just how it works. And it'd, be, and it'd be worth it, by the way, because I want you to ask, what would the transfer fee be to replace Saka and what would the wage be for a player like that? Yeah. Right? You're going to pay that person 275 and you're going to pay 80 million to get them. So I got no problem with these fees, uh, these wages. I think they deserve them. I think we should give them. And I think we will be a better club for it. So it, it's all good news. I don't, I don't think we need to go much deeper than that. But Clive, I, I will give you the final word as it will certainly be uh, the best word. <laughs> no, I think, you know, I, you know me on players, I always think there's another one. But what's starting to develop with these guys in particular is that their personalities are really starting to. It affect us. I mean, Saka's personality is is priceless, right? He's one he's one of ours, and look how he's developing as a as a person. Martinelli the same. Sleeper's a little bit more distant to us, but the way he plays, the way he's investing in the club, we can we can all see it. And that investment and connection is there. So I'm not dismissing that. You know, I'm just trying to protect my emotions and say, look, there's another player out there. Something goes wrong. But there isn't many of these people that are out walking around out there that are so well-grounded, motivated, want to improve. I think what's really changed in the dressing room in the last couple of years is the quality of person. And I think we can all see that and hope that continues, continues to grow and develop people that really want to be here for the right reasons, right? So, so yes, wages will take care of themselves, contracts will take care of themselves. They'll be performance-related. If we hurt, if we hit certain metrics, the money goes up, bonuses go up. That's what they're negotiating right now. What's base? What's performance? And that's that's the contract negotiation in the background, right? So, the base is one number. We get fed a number that could be the the whole package ahead. I think it's quite clear. Also, you can see the the layers, the pay layers. You have like the Bellerin Ben White one ten layer. You have the Pepe one forty layer. You have the Lacazette 180 layer. You have the Party 200 layer. I think Jesus is like 220, I think. He's a top play player. I might be wrong on Jesus. But you can see the layers. So you, if I look at this club now and I say, which layer is Martinelli, Saka and Steve are going to fall into? You know, and I think that's the discussion to have. Where they fit in the hierarchy, the dressing room. When all that aligns, then we're off and running, right? Yeah. Yeah, well said. So couple of things here that we need to pick out because we've got a game coming up. One just quick thing on Emil Smith-Rowe. I think the latest update is he's had a pause in his training. Yeah. And look, there is a situation where you convince yourself of a thing and then all the information becomes confirmation of that thing. It's called confirmation bias. It's real. And you got to be careful about it. So in my mind, I'm like, mm, Smith-Rowe has a hard time staying fit. So any update I get that isn't he's back and he's playing confirms my bias that Smith Rowe has a hard time staying fit. But that bias exists because Smith Rowe has a hard time staying fit. We know this from, I would say, the 2010s. Yeah. Nothing will wreck a campaign and a and a 
a project, really a whole project more, than having key pieces of the project rely on players that you don't know when or if they'll be available. It is so harmful. And, you know, we had that happen a lot. Now, a lot of times it wasn't the player's fault. It was terrible tackles, right? We saw it with Eduardo. We saw it with um, (coughs) Ramsey. The Santi Cazorla one was a little weird, but we had a little bit of that with Vermal, and we certainly had it with Rusicki. Yeah. And, like, you can only have so many players in the squad. And if key pieces of the squad can't stay fit and you need them, that can wreck your project. Yeah. I think Smith Rowe is a critical piece of the rest of our season. He is so talented. I think we probably underrated his talent in his absence, which is weird because usually I think the opposite happens, but I think we've yeah. underrated it. And with Jesus out, his value is even greater. And with a compressed fixture schedule, his his presence is even greater. Clive, I'm just I'm gonna do the whiskers thing and worry here a little. I'm with you, mate. I'm worried. We need him and and this these issues that he has are well documented and they, they just don't seem to want to get resolved, you know? Not yeah. through any fault of his own. No, and I think you're right to worry because I, I worry too. But maybe this is um, learned behavior from the club. They're learning about not bringing him back the way they brought him back before. They're bringing him back in stages. They're trying to really make sure he comes back and stays back because they recognize he's a critical period in his career. He's sitting there with a nice contract number 10 on his back and he's not playing football. You know, so he's a memory for us. He's a fading memory, you know. And we forget things very, very quickly. And so we have the next phase of his career in our hands. It really has to work from a fitness point of view. Arteta mentioned a word last night. I can remember the quite context, but he mentioned about the robustness to play in the Premier League. That's the exact word he used, robustness. And my mind went straight to Smith Rowe. You know, and... I can remember us having a debate on this podcast, and I'm not sure which side of the debate I fell into, but we were talking about Joe Willock versus Smith Rowe. And it was, oh, Smith Rowe's way better, way better, way better. But Joe Willock plays football, you know, and we sold Joe Willock. I don't say we should have kept him. I'm just saying to you, you have to have the physical robustness to play the, the football that we think you can play. And I think this is a bit that Smith Rowe has to work on. He has to work on his physical fitness and shape and form because talent is not an issue you know his talent fits this group better than joe willicks to be honest but physically he's not where he needs to be and let's see what happens i hope they get it right he could turn into a Grealish physically you know that type of chunky run down hill wide play making forward that scores that's what he needs to develop into physically. And Grealish is one of those guys that's first in, last out in the gym guy. And physically unbelievable. I think Smithro, potentially, if I'm anywhere near him, I'm sure the club are saying it, he has to absolutely dedicate himself physically beyond what other people may have to who come with a natural form to really get himself to the place he needs to be because his talent is excellent, Elliot, as, as you well know. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, so then I think we can just sort of finish off by turning our attention to West Ham. Here we are. Mm. We're back. Um, I think we had a pretty good pre mid season. Uh, we did apparently draw a behind closed doors friendly against Luton town. If, if that's correct. I have yep. to admit, nil, nil. cross that very much. Yeah. Nil, nil, nil. nil. Yep. Um, Sounds like a barn burner. Wish wish they had broadcast that so we could have done instant reaction. Um, <laughs> the Juventus game was a nothing burger. I mean, you know, we conceded two fluky own, own goals, had the ball in their final third the entire time, but I don't think played with the necessary intensity or pace and didn't get the goals that, you know, we might expect from our team. We didn't create the threat either, but it is what it is. Overall, though, I guess the biggest question I have for you is how much of the group do you think will be involved in this game? Do you think Martinelli and Saka start from the start? Do you think Saliba's in the squad? And, and what role does he have? Do you assume that Eddie will start as a striker? I mean, Mikel has alluded to the idea that Martinelli can play there, but I certainly think it's Eddie's job to lose right now. So how do you see us setting up against what is, so far this season anyway, a very, very very defensive West Ham team. <laughs> I think, um, I think, uh, and the back line, I think Rob Holding will play. 
I think he's he's sharp, he's fit, he's rested, he's played all the games uh, in in the mid preseason. I think Ben White will play on the right hand side. I think potentially Tierney will play in the first game with Gabriel. I think midfield three will take care of itself. I think Eddie will play up front with Saka Martin on the outside. That that's what I I view. I think we're interested to see what happens in the, in the next game because um, Brighton is the game is a massive game. Um, not looking past West Ham, but we do quite well on Boxing Day, do quite well against West Ham. So hopefully we'll win that game. And they've got a few issues of themselves, World Cup-wise, getting players back in. Just read that Steve was back in the club uh, tomorrow. What's today? Is it Thursday? So he arrives back tomorrow. That's Friday. I think West Ham comes a bit too soon for him. I think it comes a bit too soon for Zinchenko and, and Smith-Rowe. So, but there are lots of games upcoming. And so we've got to almost enforce our own level of rotation. So that's what I see us doing for this game. Interesting we do for Brighton, whether we ease Lever back in or, or, or keep him out for a little bit longer because he's trained a lot but hasn't played a lot in the last month or so. So let's see if he can get his rhythm back and get his presence back. His presence is huge for us. So if he's back for Brighton, that would be good because that's going to be a challenging game. Brighton also had a very successful World Cup. And they had eight or nine players go to World Cup. And I read somewhere that those eight players cost less than 50 million quid. Well, McAllister on his own and Mitoma, those two alone now, how much are they worth? Kaiseido, how much is he worth? I mean, they really have done some very smart things in the market. So they'll be a very interesting... They're not a club that we do well against. I'm, I'm already worried about that game. But West Ham, I'm hopeful for, with that level of squad and the home crowd... Nicely tipsy from the holiday weekend. I'm hopefully we're going to do the job. Yeah, there will be a lot of focus certainly on how ready we are, but we don't because we're not as close to West Ham. There's not a lot of focus on how ready they'll be. Yeah, I haven't been following what West Ham's doing, so I I don't really know. I think I'd much rather play against a team that's very well. I guess this is an interesting question. Given that we're missing Jesus, would you rather play against a team that was? Uh, an attacking side with that carried a lot of threat but was weaker defensively or someone like a West Ham? Because on the one hand, I'm like, you know what? I think this is perfect for us. We might be without Saliba. You know, we might not be at our best defensively, but we'll be at home. We'll have all of the ball. They're going to sit and defend and we just have to break them down. But then there's a part of me that's like, but that's exactly what we might struggle to do right now. So I, yeah. I can't decide if they're the perfect opposition or if they're the kind of opposition that can really give us trouble given you know, given the absence of Jesus and our attack, not having, you know, not having had Martinelli or Saka in any of these pre-mid-season games. So do you think they're the exact right kind of opposition or exact wrong kind, or is that too binary? <laughs> I think I think they're the right kind. Yeah. And um, people record this, so <laughs> I think they're the right kind. <laughs> we'll find out. I, I think I think Eddie will play. I think he's 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 good near the box, if you see what I mean. And I think in some of the more competitive top six games, you, you need some halfway line play. And I think that's some, that's more of a challenge. But near the box, I think he's excellent. I think his movement is sharp. And so I think he will do a good job in this game. It's a home game. I'm, I think it's a perfectly positioned game for us. A home game gives Eddie some confidence. I hope, I hope he scores. And that creates more breathing space and people like me are looking at him closely. So I hope he scores. But I'm really looking at January transfer market, mate. January the 1st, I'm all over it. We have to see movement coming. It's not a slant. Anybody that we have, but you spoke about it, injury. Smith Rowe, we're not sure about. Sinchenko, every time he walks up the stairs, he pulls his calf. Tomiyasu, similar. You know, and he's also on the edge of an injury all the time. We all we have our worries about party also, although he seems to have slowed some of those worries down. That's four key players there. Kieran Tierney hasn't completed the season for us yet. You know, so that's five. And then you think about, you know, we need to we need to add. That's the most important thing. Let's not wonder. We need to add. And I think all the signs are saying with the compressed nature of the league, with the compressed nature post the World Cup, with the Europa League quality teams we're playing against going up, and the fact we're top of the league. This is huge period in our recent history. And West Ham is almost like Crystal Palace again. That first game sets a marker. And that Crystal Palace Friday night game set a marker to everybody to say, we mean business. West Ham, 
win that game, everyone says, flipping, when are Arsenal going to start losing? If we don't win that game, ah, there they are, same old Arsenal, lose a player, and they start to crumble. So this game has a massive importance to me, and hopefully we can do it. Yeah, well said. And, and some late-breaking news that's just coming in. Realize we're recording this with, you know, still a lot coming out. Sounds like Saliba is going to join up with the team tomorrow. So, you know, what that does for his inclusion. Yeah. That, um, yeah, that... Uh, I, I know we've referenced this, of course, but I'm just, <laughs> trying to, to try as as you're speaking. I was trying to read through whether there was anything we're missing, and now I now I realize I've I've, I've made it. That's, that's kind of what I, I mean. do. And look, we're we're now in. It's a little late. I know, late you, I, making I know you listen to me all the time, so it's all good. It's all good. No, I I do, but I wanted to see if we got any quotes just to make sure that I was covering every every uh, stone that was unturned. I mean, obviously, no Reese Nelson, no Gabriel Jesus. The rest, we'll see. Look, Clive. Um, I think we should leave it there. I, I want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas, very Happy New Year. We'll obviously be talking quite Same a bit to you. between now and then and, and, and after then. And I, I want to reiterate that to everybody in the uh, Arsenal Vision podcast family and, and community and beyond. We'll definitely have some patron stuff coming out. And, you know, if you want to get yourself ready for the transfer window, we looked at Mudrick, we looked at João Felix, we looked at Indica, we looked at. Um, some of our loanees like Trusty Patino and Flo Balligan. Um, there's a couple others out there that are scouting videos. We did a couple of other things just talking about squad building generally. And we'll have a lot more coming out, including an instant reaction on Boxing Day to the Boxing Day match. I think our schedule will change slightly in that I, I don't think we'll put out a main pod on Monday because Monday's when we're playing. So I would expect yeah. that main pod to come out Tuesday. So keep an eye out for that. Um, it is presently a million degrees below zero here and snowing like crazy. So uh, I am going to wrap myself up in a blanket and drink warm drinks probably with a bit of Bailey's or whiskey in it. We'll see. Um, Clive, thank you so much. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, bud. Thank you very much. My name, as you may know, is Elliot Smith. If you are living in the United States, you may be aware that I am coming to snow on you. That's right. Winter Storm Elliot passing through right now. Uh, my guess is that Winterstorm Elliot will bring a lot of worry that proves to have been unfounded and unnecessary. If it's anything like the Elliot, I know. Anyway, you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommend it. We love you. And my goodness, here it comes. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Ham Nil. No.